0: Welcome to Destination DIY, I'm Julie Sabatier. We're kicking off our Oregon Inventors series with a story about a Norwegian immigrant who changed the sport of skiing forever. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website and building your own website is a great way to showcase your other DIY projects. Destination DIY listener Robert Ham really likes Squarespace. He used it to create a website for his freelance work. And he says it's super easy to use their built-in features and templates to build a really cool looking site. There's trial and error involved, but they help you along every step of the way, and you can jump into it and have a cool site ready within minutes. And he points out that you can bring in your own design elements, too. So check out his site at robert-ham.squarespace.com. Then head over to Squarespace.com for your own free trial, and when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code DIY. That'll get you 10% off and show your support for Destination DIY. Thank you. DIY. If you ski, or you hang out with skiers, you've probably heard the word yard sale used as a verb. I asked my brother Andy to define the term. You may remember from our last episode that Andy used to be a pro skier.
1: A yard sale is when you are skiing down the mountain and fall, and you spread your skis, poles, goggles, hat, anything that's not attached to your body, out on the snow as if it were a yard sale for everyone to purchase. Will you use the word yard sale in a sentence? I threw a backflip, the tips of my skis caught the snow, and I face-planted and proceeded to yard sale all over the mountain. You know, most of my good yard sales happen under ski lifts,
0: at least the ones you remember. This is Andy's friend Travis Ulrich, also an avid skier.
1: So I'm skating toward the cornice in front of the lift, I boost off as large as I possibly can, I land a little forward in my stance, which makes your skis stay where you stick and I yard sailed everywhere. Gloves, goggles, skis stayed in the snow, and I fell down with nothing.
0: But just to be clear, you you survived that, you walked away. Absolutely,
1: I, I came up grinning, getting uh, cheers and jeers from the lift. The lift was stoked. Everybody loves a yard sale.
0: Because their skis popped right off their feet, anyone watching Andy and Travis yard sale knew they weren't gonna leave the mountain on a stretcher with a broken leg or two. Up until the 1940s, Breaking a leg while skiing was pretty common. Back then, skis were a lot longer than they are now. Like, we're talking eight feet long. They were made of wood with metal bindings nicknamed bear traps.
1: And the old bear traps were just horrible. It's kind of a a function of a locking vise that locked down on the lug of the boot.
0: Nate Turner is the hard goods manager at Mount Hood Meadows Ski Resort. For all you non-skiers, hard goods basically boils down to equipment.
1: And once you were locked in, you were not coming out. Sounds scary. Yeah, yeah, just a little. I I don't care how fun skiing is, I don't think I could have gotten into it back in those days.
0: There's probably a lot of natural-born skiers, like Nate, who didn't get into the sport back then. Skiing just wasn't very popular before World War II. But the appeal of majestic, snow-covered Mount Hood just 55 miles from Portland was tempting for some adventurous Oregonians back in the day.
2: Silhouetted against towering, snow-capped Mount Hood, skiers soar into space in the North American championships high in the Cascade Mountains.
0: Scandinavian immigrants who grew up skiing felt right at home on Oregon's highest mountain. One Norwegian in particular stood out, Jalmer Vam. Both his first and last names begin with a silent H.
3: In the community of skiers, he was known all over the country. He was a giant in the
0: Northwest. This is historian Bill Lang. He's a professor emeritus at Portland State University. He also has a personal connection to Yalmer Vahm.
3: Yes, I knew him fairly well. uh, My father got to know him uh, in the 1930s, and our families did things together. I skied many, many, many days with him when I was uh, a youngster, a teenager, when I was a ski racer. In high school and college, between 1931 and 1945, there wasn't anybody who could touch him. He was the best slalom racer, the best downhill racer, the best cross-country skier, and the best jumper. That
0: is hard to match anywhere in the country. Bill and his ski buddies looked up to Yalmer, even though when they knew him, he was in his 60s. His formal racing days were long over, but he was still up for a challenge.
3: Yalmer says, "Uh, you guys are getting pretty good. Let's play fox and hounds. And we said, what? And he said, try and catch me. We'd start the same. And the object was to beat him to the bottom, essentially. We could never beat him. And we were not poor skiers. We were good racers. And we were young, and we were relatively fearless. But we could not keep up with him.
0: Yalmer Vaughn learned to ski at an early age in his hometown of Kongsberg. It's an old mining town in southern Norway. His father raised dairy cows, and it was little Yalmer's job to deliver pails of milk to the neighbors on skis.
3: And as Yalmer said, I want you to know I never spilled a drop.
0: Yalmer and his brother Ingval left Kongsberg in the 1920s. Norway was in a deep post-war recession. The brothers landed in Oregon in 1927, where Yalmer found work at a local sawmill. But he quickly became known as an exceptional skier. In 1931, he was the first person ever to ski down from the summit of Mount Hood. He won something like 150 trophies in his career. And he actually qualified for the 1936 Winter Olympics in Berlin, but he couldn't compete because he hadn't gone through all the steps of becoming a US citizen. 16 years later, when his citizenship was all worked out, Yalmer coached the U.S. Nordic team at the Olympics in Oslo.
3: He was wiry. He was uh, slender. He was fast. He was extremely durable. He had enormous energy. Just You could go on and on. It's typical of what you think of when you think of a world-class athlete.
0: But even a champ like Yalmer wasn't immune to broken bones. In 1937, he won the Golden Rose Ski Classic at Mount Hood's Timberline Lodge for the second year in a row. Afterwards, he and some friends decided to do a little ski jumping in the backcountry. He jumped off of a snowy crest, and one of his long wooden skis got stuck in a frozen rut. His leg twisted and broke. Despite all his athletic accomplishments, what happened next is actually what secured Yalmer's place in ski history. Bill Lang heard the story straight from the man himself.
3: He would get a kind of an elfish look on his face when he told it. He had uh, a broken leg. He was in the hospital. It was a difficult repair of his leg, frankly. He had some painkillers, don't know what kind. And in a, a painkiller-induced, so to speak, dream, he realized the principle that he could use for this Ski binding. So when he came out of his drowsiness, he asked the nurse for a pad and paper and a tray.
0: That was the moment of inspiration for the world's first quick-release safety ski binding. Here's how Yalmer told the story in a 1993 interview with KPTV in Portland. He was 90 years old at the time.
2: And I just jumped and the guy in the next bed uh, says, say you just about jumped out of bed oh is that right i said i had a a a binding that i've been working on for three years and i just just realized how i could build it so i drew the sketch up for the first release binding in the world
0: when yalmer was released from the hospital he took his sketch and he cobbled together a prototype using a stud from a bay window and some other stuff he had lying around The challenge was to make a piece of machinery that would hold a boot securely while you were skiing and release safely if you took a spill. The kind of binding Yalmer had used up to that point, the binding he was using when he broke his leg, consisted of two basic pieces. You had the bear trap on the front and that was connected to an adjustable metal cable that wrapped around the heel and snapped shut. Yalmer focused on the immovable toe piece His binding had three parts forming a triangle on a metal plate that was screwed into the ski.
3: As long as the boot was headed directly toward the central point, it would remain in the proper position for skiing, still using the cable to push it forward. But the moment that it twisted too much so that it no longer was headed directly toward that central point, one of the tongs, one of the points of the triangle would come off the boot and that would free you. That was his invention.
0: The design was pretty simple, especially compared to ski bindings on the market today. But Nate Turner says it's easy to see how Yalmer's influence lives on.
1: Oh, 100% influence. I mean, one of the most recognizable design aspects of Yalmer's uh, invention is, is the releasable toe. And you can see that same exact triangular shaped toe in today's modern bindings. And it's a little bit beefier, but just from a visual standpoint, it's very, very similar to to Yalmer's triangular toe piece.
0: Yalmer patented the design in 1939. He called it the Safe Ski Binding. And he took out magazine ads with the slogan, "Boom with Wom and have no fear. Just like his name, he spelled "boom" with a silent H. There's conflicting reports about who came up with the slogan. I read somewhere that it was Simpsons creator Matt Groening's father who coined it. That may or may not be true. Anyway, it's clear when you read it that Yalmer wrote the ad copy himself. For authenticity, I found a genuine Norwegian to read one of the SafeSki binding ads for us.
2: Hi, Julie. My name is Knut, and I hear that you are looking for somebody with a Norwegian accent. And uh, my qualifications may be short in a lot of ways, but I do have a Norwegian accent.
0: Canoe came to Oregon from Norway in 1967.
2: Boom with warm and have no fear. Maybe you do not know about release bindings. Maybe you're in a hospital with a broken leg. Let me tell you about how the warm toe release works. It never releases while you ski. When you fall bad, your foot may twist. With the toe swivels, and your boot may be twisted out without injury. It is safe to say, there is no better binding than a warm. Maybe you think I would tell you a lie. If you think so, I'm sorry for you. I would not lie about anything. Especially, I would not lie about skiing, because skiing is what my whole life is about.
0: The Vaughan bindings were really popular with the rental shops that had started popping up. The boom years following World War II were good for the ski industry.
3: Ski areas were opening rapidly, like bowling alleys. I mean, they're just all over the place.
2: Winter has touched the scenic slopes of Mount Hood with a carpet of white, so the ski birds are on the wing. From Timberline Lodge, the chairlift is a magic carpet whisking the winter sport fans up to the takeoff point 7,000 feet above sea level. From nearby Portland and faraway places, they come for an early send-off in a ski season that lasts here until June.
0: The golden age of capitalism was also good for the insurance business. Rental shop owners quickly discovered that they could lower their premiums by offering skis with Yalmer's safe ski bindings. Yalmer had his own ski shop. That was his main source of income. But according to Bill Lang, the guy was just a tinkerer by nature. And that painkiller-induced dream wasn't the only time he was struck by a sudden inspiration.
3: Vera's wife described all kinds of situations where he was always doing that sort of thing. He'd get up in the middle of, the, of eating and go in and start uh, scribbling on something.
0: Yalmer never got rich off of his invention, but he kept working on it anyway. He actually has eight different ski binding patents under his name. Every few years, the binding would get an overhaul. That was the fun part of it for Yalmer. He probably could have made a lot more money if he'd invested in manufacturing the bindings on a bigger scale.
3: He didn't want to do that. It would have cost a lot of money. It would have meant devoting his life to it, so to speak, being a a manufacturer and having to have a a lot of investment and stuff. He never really wanted to do that.
0: Pretty soon, dozens of companies were making their own versions of the quick-release bindings. After he retired in the 60s, Yalmer continued his safe ski binding business on a small scale. What
3: he was doing is putting together ski bindings for sale in his basement. He had abandoned the notion of having a... Uh, company, build thousands of bindings every year. He'd gotten out of that business for a number of reasons, but he still sold bindings. And he sold them to selected retailers all over the country, but he made them himself with help.
0: Bill actually helped Yalmer assemble bindings in his basement in the summer of 1963. Eventually, even the small-scale production tapered off. Ski bindings evolved away from cable bindings, and Yalmer's design basically became obsolete. He never
3: invented, or tried to invent that I know of, a non-cable-based ski binding. So in some ways, he was stuck in the 1930s and 1940s.
0: Yalmer died in 1996. He was 93, and he skied well into his golden years. He never lost his love for the sport.
3: The passion that he talked about when he skied and when he talked to us kids was something that any skier would recognize immediately. He said, boys, we flying.
2: My friends say, "Yalmar, you are the luckiest man in the world. You're in the ski business and you get to ski all
1: the time. This is
2: true. I am lucky.
1: I think we owe it to him for having the concept that, you know, this is a fun sport and we just need to make it just a degree safer so that everybody can enjoy it and have a peace of mind when they're out, you know, skiing on the mountains and not worrying about, you know, twisting their knee or breaking their leg or whatever. And, uh, you know, just sharing an awesome sport with the world and making it safer and more appealing to everybody. I think the ski industry worldwide owes a little tip of the hat to him.
0: According to Nate Turner there's still plenty of room for new ski binding inventions.
1: We'll never stop changing and tweaking the ski binding. There's always ways to improve it.
0: Personally, I'm all for that. I'd much rather have a ski binding like this than like this. And I'm here to tell you that even with the binding, it's still possible to break your leg. That was my fault though. I was 18 and I was trying to impress my brother, you know, the guy who became a pro skier.
1: That's definitely one of the most prominent ski memories I have. And you still have a titanium rod in your femur.
0: Yes, yes I do. (laughs) But that had nothing to do with my bindings. Let's just be clear.
1: No, that had to do with your pride.
0: Yalmer would be the first to tell you that when it comes to skiing, courage is a lot more important than pride. And thanks to his bindings, that courage is easier to come by.
2: If you have the guts to ski, You must ski so you fall down once in a while. It takes a little risk, but that's what's fun of it. That's what skiing is all about. Yes, sir, ski fans jump when Jack Frost beckons.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Destination DIY. I'm Julie Sabatier, and I produced this episode with help from engineer Brian Kramer, editor Laura Haddon, and producer Jamie Ketty. Gray Ann created the Destination DIY theme song. In this episode, you also heard music composed and performed by Jason Leonard. We get legal help from Cole Haver. Funding for the Oregon Inventor Series comes from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. Head over to DestinationDIY.org because you do not want to miss the awesome photos of Yalmer Vaughn in his heyday as a skier. We also have his original patent. Thanks to the Oregon Historical Society for helping me track that stuff down. And thanks so much to Knut Austa.
2: Uh, knut Austa.
0: For reading the Voom with Vam ad copy for us. I'll try again. Austa. Yeah, that's good. Support for Destination DIY comes from Leanne Locker and Associates, crafting strategic arts and letters for good. More information is at LeanneLocker.com. Some of the newsreel footage in this episode came courtesy of Shutterstock. And we could not do what we do without the support of our fabulous, creative, awesome listeners like Jim Brunberg. Take it away, Jim.
2: Hi, this is Jim Brunberg in Portland. The Destination DIY podcast is available for free, pretty much any way you want it. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and of course, you can always find them at their website, DestinationDIY.org. You'll find photos, audio archives, and all kinds of web-only content. All the details are at DestinationDIY.org. The team dishes out DIY news and other findings via Twitter and Facebook. Just look for the Destination DIY, and don't forget... It's not too late to support the show like I did. Just look for the Please Donate link on the website, DestinationDIY.org. Thanks for listening.